We're, we're talking about four convictions, and have, have I just gone forward there? There we go. Four convictions that are going to be shaping and changing the world. There's three words that we're kind of tackling over the next uh, two weeks ago, and the next four weeks is spirit, grace, prayer. You're going to bump into some of those words along the way. But just before I begin this morning, tonight we've got our regroup night on. And a regroup night is when we gather together and we can talk about some in-house things, some strategies, some where we're heading, so encourage one another. And so I would encourage you all to be there tonight. Starts at 5, finishes at 6.30 with soup and bread. So there's food to have and uh, not quite like that spread. But uh, we're going to be um, also sending out the Berrymans. They're going to be heading off to America for a number of years, as well as Zach Nunes over to really one of these colleges, actually for about four years and so it'll be a really significant time together so uh, it is worth the effort can you please come along tonight here at five o'clock and it'll be also my last regroup before I head away for 12 years um, and that will be there okay so we are going to be looking at uh, the book of Ephesians over this next month and so if you want to track with us, um, there's a U version, or if you have a Bible with you, you want to look to, and if you are a leader of a small group, a life group, we're going to encourage you to be um, picking up this resource out in the foyer uh, on the book of Ephesians and go through with your life group as well. Now I'm going to pray that God might speak to us today. So if you'd like to join with me. Dear God, I would just ask a simple prayer that you might open up our eyes today. You might open up our eyes that we might fully and truly see a little clearer of who you are and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the 18th century, the Western intelligentsia decided to kick God off his throne. They decided that there was no God and that all we have is here and now. And as a result of that, what it left us with is this idea that just the stuff in our hands is all that we have. If you like, it had started a few centuries before and it was reflected in the artwork where humankind began to shift their gaze from the heavens and direct it towards the earth. If you like, they elevated humankind and they kicked God out. And as a result of that, we entered into a whole age of isms and the ism which defines us more profoundly than any other one in fact we don't even really know it or feel it because we've lived in it all of our lives is the broad system that we call capitalism and in capitalism you are uh, defined by uh, the ideas uh, of consumption and what you contribute to that system they're the reference points if you like in fact we are called consumers and we are commodities and that's the way in which the system sees us if you like we live in this broad theme called system called capitalism and as a result of that if you like what's happened is that everything that we see around us is just a material thing in fact we are the materialists we have this sense of materialism that's part of us we we contribute to this system of capitalism by when we consume, we keep it running, and what we create for it, what we actually deliver to it. And in fact, so we have this, this idea around ourselves is that we're in a material world. And what we do is that we, if you like, because we've agreed that all there is is here and now and that there is no God, that we kind of take the material stuff in our hands that we have and we try and squeeze it for all of its meaning that it's worth. 
you don't believe me, one of the most popular television series that we have, they're all, to some degree, forms of voyeurism. We watch people make the perfect plate of food. We watch people build the most perfect house to live in. We watch people create the most perfect body to inhabit. We watch programs that talk about the most perfect uh, sexual encounter. All of these, if you like, are just extensions of this capitalist world we live in in which human beings are trying to squeeze out every last drop of meaning from the material stuff around about us. And so we're almost like um, kids at a Christmas party. You've seen this, haven't you? You're at a Christmas party and you're surrounded by presents and you've seen the little kids, they just reach and grab for the next present. Some of them are overwhelmed by presents, so they reach and they, the experience, if you like, or the delight of Christmas is just opening the present. If you've seen a little kid, they tear it open, they have this moment elation of a high, and then what do they do? They drop the present and they reach for the next one, don't they? They don't care about the substance, they just want the experience of the substance. That's a perfect picture of what our culture is like in this capital materialist world is that we're reaching for the next material thing to squeeze out as much experience as we can from it because that will give us a momentary high. We're like a kid at the Christmas party. If you don't believe me still, why do you find it so hard to buy someone a birthday present these days? Or worse still, a Christmas present. Because intuitively, most people that fall within that system, they have enough. And you know that, and they know that. So what do we do now? Why are experience presents the most sort of, you know, highly scaled ones out there to get? I'm going to buy you an experience, we say. Experience of going in a hot air balloon, or experience of eating at a fine dining restaurant, an experience of something, because we intuitively know we've got all the stuff that we need, but we're trying to squeeze out the best kind of sense of meaning and excitement from the stuff that we have. Am I making sense this morning? That is the world that we inhabit, and we just don't even know that because we just it's so natural, it's like breathing air. And so in some ways, what we do is we copy this man called Epicurus. Epicurus. We, we tend to think that we're progressive right now and that uh, we have become so, so advanced and progressive that we are thinking new thoughts that no one else has. Uh-uh. Nothing is new under the sun. Epicurus lived in the 4th century BC. He believed this about the world. He said the world was started by atoms, not the atoms that we understand today, but the atoms were falling through the sky and some of them would divert and they collide with one another and they formed everything that we have. There are no gods. If there are gods, they're so far away that they've left us to our own devices. And so the chief end and the goal of humankind, this is 4th century BC, is to be happy. And the way in which one is happy is to eliminate all kinds and forms of pain and suffering from our lives and so through the pursuit of pleasure and tranquility, you will, if you like, reach your chief end. And so his philosophical uh, school was in a garden. And, And no wonder it was so appealing to the wealthy and the upwardly mobile, whilst everyone else was scratching out an existence, Epicurus said, alleviate yourself of pain. Certainly don't enter the world of politics if you don't want to experience pain. And certainly don't get married if you want to experience pain. What you need to do is actually pursue your own personal pleasures. There is nothing new under the sun at all. And here we are in this world in which we inhabit. 
So let me ask you the question this morning, who are you? Or who are we? And what happens to the likes of the big mics who fall outside of that system? What happens to the men that we've been helping out at the winter shelter every last Sunday? There's a number of people here providing a safe place to sleep. Uh, Six men last week that otherwise would have slept under a bridge or beside a river or in the park. What happens to them if they can't define themselves by those terms of reference? Because the way in which we define ourselves is according to how successful we are in that system, how much stuff we've accumulated or what material gain we can squeeze out of the experiences that we have. And so if you like, we enter into this idea of the age of bewilderment. We have so much stuff that we don't know what to do with it. The age of experience where we're just moving from the next weekend high to the next one. Or if you like, the age of anxiety in which we're most anxious about missing out, falling short, or maybe someone's got ahead of us. Isn't that true? And so enter in the world that we inhabit right now. Anxiety. Hmm. Step in, this person, Saul of Tarsus. If you had have asked Saul who he was, he would have said, who am I? <laughs> I'm a good Jewish boy. I live in Tarsus, sort of north of Syria. And, and, and I'm a good Jewish boy, and, and I've been one of God's chosen people, and my goal in life is to actually please God. He's given, how do I know that I'm one of God's family? It's because I was born into the right family, a Jewish family. And, and I am trying to obey Torah to please God. In fact, I want to do that because he's got a special, unique vocation for us. God wants to restore and fix the world through us. And so what we're working towards right now is creating a place in which we live out God's ways and his laws on earth so that he will come. And if you like, we'll have prepared a way for him so that God's kingdom will come here on earth and his restorative justice and his peace and his power will dwell and inhabit the earth just like the waters cover the sea. That's who I am. That's the story I inhabit. That's what I would answer that question of who am I? And so when the early followers of Jesus came along and they said, we believe we've seen what God has done in the world through Jesus and he's making it all new and they didn't believe him, he, he actually went out to try and kill them for the convictions that they had. And so this Saul of Tarsus had a dramatic experience, a revelation, if you like, of Jesus on a road to Damascus that totally revolutionized his world, just like Dale was talking about this morning. So much so that his whole world shifted from now being a Jewish boy who followed God to now a Jewish boy believing that Jesus was who he claimed to be and that changed everything. And so he writes to a group of followers of Jesus in a book called Ephesians. If you want to follow with me, you can right now. And one of the ideas that, if you like, Saul, who became Paul, had was that the dimensions between heaven and earth aren't as far away as you think. God, where he dwells, is just in another dimension beyond our own. He's not far away up in the clouds. And one day he will come and make all things right. And so he writes to the group of Ephesians and he starts off by saying this, followers of Jesus who live in Ephesus. He says, let us bless God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, the King. He has blessed us in the King with every spirit-inspired blessing in the heavenly realms. Let us bless God. That's a funny word, isn't it? We don't do much blessing these days, do we? I was in the chemist last week 
and I sneezed a few times. <laughs> and someone said to me, the lady just so over the corner, she said, oh, bless you. <laughs> I said, thanks. And then I thought about it. Why, why am I being blessed for a sneeze? A sneeze isn't really a nice thing, is it? But yet we have this cultural thing of bless. It's something positive. We want to affirm you. It, yeah, yeah, it's bless you. And Paul says, I want you to bless God, if you like. I want you to bless God, this positive affirmation towards him. Bless God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, the King. He has blessed us in the King with every spirit-inspired blessing in the heavenly realms. What Paul is saying to them is that you don't know what you have. You followers of Jesus, you don't know what you have. In fact, if you want to follow Jesus, you're not going to really grasp what you have or what you will be given if you follow him and then he goes on and he writes these words you see he says he chose us in him before the world was made so as to be holy and blameless before him in love i love that first moment when big mike rolled up in the tui household he drives up in the car and the scene i remember is that he looks through the windows and his eyes like pop out it's like what on earth have i discovered here there's this mansion that I have just been welcomed into. He has no idea. He had no idea where he was going. He had no idea what he was actually going to be experiencing, if you like, blessed with when he rolled up at the Tui's house. Now, if you had have asked Big Mike right there when he was walking on the street, Big Mike, did you choose to get into the car with Miss Tui and Mr. Tui? Or not, he would say, of course I did. I chose the twoies. But you see, he didn't understand the view from the car. You see, if he had have asked Mrs. Tui, she would have said, no, no, no. Mike didn't choose me. I chose him. You see, I saw him when he was wandering the streets and I loved him. I saw him when he didn't have a place to call home and I loved him. I, I saw him when he was shivering cold. He had no food to eat or clothes to wear. And I loved him. And what Paul is trying to say to these would-be followers of Jesus is, you don't know what you've got because you don't know how good God is. You don't know who God is. You see, God looks down from the, if you're not, not looks down, he looks out from the dimension when he dwell, where he dwells and he looks at you and he says, I love you. And if you thought you chose me, I'm telling you this. My love existed for you before the world was made. Go and figure that. I remember being a phys ed teacher and the worst power I could give to any two students on, in heaven and on earth was to choose teams. <laughs> Some of you are still scarred from that experience. <laughs> you'd line two students up and you'd say to them, now you pick and of course, I'd pick their friends and then the best players and there was people left over always at the end and I'd try and squish it over and say, oh, come on, you go in that team, you go in that team and you go in that team. I stopped letting kids pick because from God's vantage where he looks and he sees, he loves. You see, if you like, Big Mike didn't choose God. God says, even before the world began, I loved you see what paul's trying to say to them is that you don't understand the view from the car you don't know who you are because you don't know 
what you've got and you don't know what you've got because you don't know who he is well enough. You see, you're a prized possession of infinite worth to a creator and maker who loves you. He goes on and he writes this. He said, He foreordained us for himself to be adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus the King. That's how he wanted it and that's what gave him delight. So that the glory of, of his grace, the grace he poured out on us in his beloved one might receive its due praise. You see, not only did he choose you before time began, he says he adopted you into his family. You see, I love that when Big Mike comes into the house and he sits down and there's Thanksgiving dinner to be had and he goes and sits at the table and the others are still watching TV. You see, what Mrs. Tui didn't do, she didn't say, come in to my house, Mike, and there's this shed up the back. You can stay in that and we'll bring you out some food and when we want to talk to you, we'll come out and actually interact with you, but you're going to stay over there. No, what does she do? She welcomes him into his household as though he's one of the children. My friends, that is what Paul is trying to say to them is that you don't get it is because when you said yes to God, he'd already said yes to you. He chose you and he foreordained it before the world was even made that you wouldn't just be on the scraps on the outskirt in the shed, that you would come and dwell in his house just like a son or daughter, just like big Mike did in the blind side. Are you getting what I'm saying? Some years ago, um, when we bought our house, uh, we we needed a long table to fit the house. We wanted people over. We wanted to have kind of like a Thanksgiving dinner like that every week and tell every night it's just like that. And, and what we'd have is that we would have this long table. And so I remember going with, with my son Jake and we went to the auction houses because this isn't the kind of table you're just going to buy anywhere. And we looked in all the different auction houses and one day we rocked up and, and there was a table that we saw and we went, that is the table for home. So we walked in there and the, the problem was though is that the lot number of that table was like at the end of the day. We arrived in the morning. So we sat through the entire auction waiting for this table. By the time, the, the, there was two items left on this floor. And the auctioneer goes, now we've got this table up here and we're going to offer it up and I've got a hundred bucks, a hundred bucks for me. And then he looks at me and he, he kind of points at me but it's kind of past me and he says, to us all in the room, all the other bidders, is that a bid? <laughs> and he's pointing at me and I'm like, no, he's pointing past me. And I look past me and there is Jake, all of like eight years old, <laughs> with his hand up like this. We had waited all day for that table and he knew that was for our house. And so he's, his hand's up and I'm like, yeah, that's a bid. <laughs> And, and then, could you imagine anyone else bidding against an eight-year-old? This was gold. I mean, I couldn't have set this up myself. This was awesome. This was awesome. So the auctioneer says, all right, do I have 150? Do I have 150? Oh, he goes, oh, come on. <laughs> do I have 100? Someone was shamed into bidding, right? 150. And then when that, that person bid, everyone else turned on him, right? And I was like, oh, you're going to bid against an eight-year-old. The, 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 the auction went flat, right? And so he says, do I have 200? Do I have 200? I looked at Jake and he's like, hand up like this. We took that thing home. <laughs> we didn't leave it out in the shed. We didn't leave it out in the garden. We didn't put it on the street. We brought it into our home because that's where it belonged. 
You see, that table was chosen, that table was adopted, it's part of our house, it's part of who we are, and that's exactly what God says he does for you. Do you know who you are? You don't know who you are because you don't know what you've got. You don't know what you've got because you don't know who he is. You don't know who he is because you don't know what he's done. Because he goes on and he says this, In the king and through his blood we have deliverance, that is, our sins have been forgiven through the wealth of his grace which he has lavished on us. You see, when Paul's writing these things, he has this picture as being a Jewish boy and the most profound experience in their Jewishness that made them a people is when they exited Egypt. They took the blood of a lamb, they put it on the lintel post and the angel of death passed over and they were delivered in that day. They became a people and God did that profoundly. And he says, behind the backdrop of God's goodness is the cross and a God who sent his son and gave his all. And when he died, it's like his blood was, anyone who says yes to him, it's as though the blood comes on the lentils of their, the lentils of their home and he sets them free. You see, we live in a world now where there is no sin. There's just moral imperfection and glitches. Do you know that? But we live with the experience of it all through our world. Anger on our streets, rage amongst our nations, pride and greed. All of these things that distort who God made us to be and the things that so easily entangle us. And he says the moment you come to know Jesus, the wonderful thing is that he makes you blameless before God. He forgives you. He washes you clean. He welcomes you in because that is what he's done through his son who gave his all for you. That's what Jesus did. If you reach out and place your trust in Jesus, he says, I've chosen you, I've adopted you, and I will lavish you with my forgiveness and my love and my gracious goodness because that is who I am and that is what I have done for the world. Some people will look at that and they will go, that is ridiculous. Why on earth would Jesus, that Nazareth person, do something like that? And Paul would answer this. Yes, with all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the secret of his purpose, just as he wanted it to be and set it forward in him as a blueprint for when the time was ripe. And his plan is this, to sum up the whole cosmos in the king. Yes, everything in heaven and on earth in him. Paul says, you don't quite understand it, is, is that when you've said yes to Jesus and he welcomed you in, he reconciled you to God. But it wasn't just for yourself. That's just so selfish kind of thinking. That is just so, 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 so 21st century Epicurean kind of thinking. All about you. He says, no, no, no. That's just a blueprint of a much larger plan that what God's going to do one day when he brings heaven and earth together under the one king. When what the, the prophet Habakkuk said, that the wonder and the glory of God will fill the earth just like the waters cover the sea. That will happen in full one day and you are just like a little symbol a representation of what God is going to do on the whole if you like Jesus is like a magnet that will bring heaven and earth these two dimensions together in a new heavens and a new earth and you are welcome in to that why because you've been chosen you've been adopted and he gladly lavishes it upon you you see you you don't know who you are because you don't know what you've got you have no idea about the spiritual blessing in the heavenlies that is towards you. You're like the big mic who's just get their eyes being opened up for the first time. 
You don't know what you've got because you don't know who he is really like. You don't know who he is because you don't fully grasp what he's done when he died to reconcile the world one day to himself. He wants to bring his peace and his justice and his mercy to flow and to flow and to flow. I'm going to ask Graham to come up. Just stand up and play some music for me. I wonder what you're hearing this morning. And he just arrives. Isn't that amazing? Just from the side door. Who are you? See, when Bron and I were, were living in Portland, Oregon, when we last studied, <laughs> we lived in a domestic violence shelter for the last, last year of our studies. Women and their kids trying to get away from violent men. There was one lady across the road from us. Her name was Cindy. Cindy had three kids, and when she was not in a good mood, she played her music loud, loud. She was a hard nut. And it took me about nine months not to crack her because you couldn't crack Cindy. But what it took was a lot of gentle introductions until enough trust was built up. One day I said to her, you've got a Ford. I know you love your Ford. You probably never get a chance to actually do any of the cleaning of the uh, oil and the filters and everything like that. And I'm such an expert, (laughs) but I've got a friend who is. And um, how about I get it done for you, free of charge? She handed me the keys. Always the keys. And um, I drove her car to my friend's place. We did a grease and oil change. He did a grease and oil change. But on the way home, I looked in the back seat and I looked down in the, the, the footwells and I went, man, there's a nuclear wasteland down there. And so I took it to the vacuum place. And I vacuumed that car as best I could. Couldn't do the grease and oil change, but I vacuumed that car. Made it spotless on the inside and almost like it was new, blameless before the maker. I delivered the car, dropped off the keys and went about my business. Two days later, I heard this pounding on the door. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. Only one person does this. It's the entire apartment block. It's Cindy. I open up the door and there she is standing there. No, no, no lie. She says this to me. What do you want? What do you want? I don't think Cindy had had too many people do generous things for her before. For her to not think that there's a catch. I said, what do you mean? She goes, you know. (laughs) I knew. I said, oh, the car. She said, yeah. I said, well, I just cleaned it up for you because I figured that, you know, you probably wouldn't have a chance raising three kids and everything like that. You see, when someone comes to know Jesus... The first thing he does with them, he puts their mind into an order. He puts their heart into a right order. He does some reconfiguring. So they begin to live and to breathe and move, just like Dale was talking about. He brings them alive. Why does he do it? Because he loves you with an unfathomable love. He chose you before the world even began and he adopts you as one of his own as though you never left in the first place when you return to him, the maker and the creator of your life.
doesn't leave you out in the shed. He greets you as a son or a daughter. So let me ask you this. Who are you? Because the profound conviction of those early followers of Jesus was that in light of all of that, God is good. He is good. And it changed the world. When wealthy Romans were leaving Rome because there was a plague, the Christians were going in because God was good. And even if they died of the plague, they'd get a new body and have a new dwelling because he's going to remake the heavens and the earth. They so believed that with their heart and soul that it changed their world and it shaped the world they lived in because God was good. Do you own that conviction this morning? In the heart of hearts, God is good. That's why Paul says, let us bless God. Because the first response when you get it is to worship and say thanks and to say, God, you are good. And it naturally flows from who you are. So I want to talk to you. I'm I'm, going to bring it to an end. If you're here this morning and you wrestle with the confidence trap, I want to say this to you. The roller coaster of life is such that when you fail or succeed according to the world's capitalism and the Epicurean ways, you need to get off that roller coaster. And the way in which you do that is you start to embed God's truth into your thinking because we we are what we believe. And you need to embed that so much in your thinking that you actually are transformed by it every day. If you're here this morning and, and, and you hear about a God who welcomes you in and they're like a father and you just need healing because you didn't have a good daddy at all. The what I want to say to you is that if you open up your heart to God, he is like the father you never had or the father that you wished you did. He might discipline you, but he does it for your loving good. There's nothing that God wouldn't ask you to do that isn't at the end of the day for your inherent good and for his honor. And lastly this, Maybe you're here this morning and you need to grow. You've been coming along like Dale. You've got to know Jesus, but you've done nothing about it. Every Sunday you turn up and you are like a little baby in the high chair and you put a bib on and we have to spoon some food into your mouth and you dribble it out on the sides and you need Papa Troy to come in and give you a little bit more because it's just not getting in. Sorry. You need to feed yourself. You need to grow up. You need to be able to take the spoon and go, oh, oh, Sundays is a good thing. It's a supplement, but I'm actually doing this. And wow, I no longer fit into my nappies anymore. I no longer need to change them anymore. I'm getting adult clothes because I'm a grown up now. Making sense? I wonder which one you are. Cindy's going to come and sing a song and all I want us to do right now is reflect on this idea, is God good? And if he is, then I'd like you to pray or to reflect or to open up your heart or just listen in and ask him to do one of those three things in your life. Thanks, Cindy.